Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about 1988 Upper Deck Baseball. And not a misprint. We're talking about the year before Upper Deck became popularly available. There are 88 Upper Deck uh, Baseball cards. We'll talk about those and the environment that Upper Deck was born into. And that there would not be an Upper Deck if there had not been the activity in 88 that was uh, behind the scenes, as well as uh, stuff that happened at the National that year that Rich and I will uh, talk about. But uh, with Upper Deck coming on strong after that, wow, really, in many respects, brought the hobby to another level. So thank you, Upper Deck, for jumping out there in 88. First, thanks sponsors, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck themselves, as well as Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So 88 Upper Deck Rich, two-card set, but that's uh, oversimplifying. It's two-card set with variations. Every once in a while, I see one come through when I'm IDing cards for Compsy, and there are like three different versions of Dwayne Boyce and Wally Joyner. And it's really cool cards, and you realize... Wait a second, not just one version, but three versions. I guess they did them at different times. They did the holograms differently. They're trying to find their way. They got a couple current major leaguers to help them along the way. <laughs> they, they were really very aggressive at the time. And I was a dealer. I did not, you know, exist. I'm going to say in your world, but I was not in the corporate, you know, card world. Yeah, I was yeah. more in the dealer world. So I, I didn't pay much attention until they actually do something. Well, until the story, you're wondering. Dwayne Bice has to be the weakest promo card that a company would pick because many of the promo cards after those times were Grant Hill in basketball or, or somebody that was, that would uh, be more attention grabbing. But Dwayne Bice was actually a customer of Upper Deck, which yes. actually was a card shop in the LA area. And if you want really good background, and we won't talk about the negative things he talks about later. But if you really want a good background, read Pete, Pete Williams's Pete, book. Yeah. No, I'm going to get. I want. I'm. I'm. Uh, Pete's on my list. Pete, if you're listening, I am inviting you to be on the show. You, Not to defend yourself. No, I have. I have his. I, ha, okay. I think I have his info. But good. Well, well, we can put you, the full court press on him. But he's. Uh, do you want me to reach out to him? You can too. I, okay. I will as well. But in fact, we may do a, a conversation where the two of us talk to him. He's got a lot of insights. I imagine most of what he knows is in the book. But just like. Most, some things are not in any book. Some things I know are not in any book, but that was a, that shook things up when that book came out. But again, getting but to the positive. He has a really good background. Exactly. Um, exactly. So that's, that book has now been out for 25 years, give or take. I think, yeah, I think it was 90. It's 95, 96. 95 maybe, yeah. Any rate, that was, any rate, so Upper Deck net huge positive for our industry. Yes. Uh, very much so. And fact, 88 was their attempt. And Dwayne Bice, because he understood card collecting, I don't know that he volunteered, but there was a, a voluntary agreement between Dwayne and, and I think Wally Joyner just came along as a more known guy. But Dwayne Bice was the main guy, I think, of saying, I think I can help you, you upper deck potential card company licensee. I think I can get you in with the Players Association, which was the, the first thing. And if you can get in with them then you've got a good chance with the baseball, the properties, the teams. Yeah. Upper Deck has done a lot of permutation, but I will say... They are as strong now as they may have ever been in some ways. They do their random acts of kindness to people. They're really good on that. And I want to, we, I don't know if we've mentioned right. it, but Chris Carlin's brother right, right. has Lou Gehrig's disease and he's in the final stages. And one of the, and I'm going to, one of the most inspiring things we used to do company lunches and you brought Charlie, Charlie Wiedemeyer in. Yeah. And Charlie was this football coach, nationally famous. 
They made a movie. And they made a movie. Whose brother was? Herm. Her- and what's Herm's best card? Herm has a card. 52 tops? 48-52 exhibit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's in, he's I'm in, thinking about another guy. Yeah, I got you, got you, got you, got you, got you, got you. And it's, Upper Deck has really become, again, back to where they were, very right. customer-centric. They're really doing, 30 years later, they're for a little Well, more. they started with a printing technology yeah. guy, a card shop guy, and an accountant. Yeah. And those are the three, not a three-headed monster, but you need those understandings to do something, that, especially that hadn't been done before. And But Dwayne Bice was not, again, I think they entered into this voluntary yeah. agreement, but it was illegal or, <laughs> yes. because the players are not allowed to have a, a stake in, in licensees. And he had to be bought out, I guess. He was. He, according and to he did very well. There were, there's been, I'm not going to rehash all that other than, other than they had an agreement. And when that agreement cannot be carried forward because the players association would not permit it, then they had to have a, uh, an exit or some kind of a buyout, okay. which was very lucrative. Okay, I'm set up at the 88 National, so I don't really get to walk around. You're, well, that's when these cards came out. And that, you're walking in around. In fact, that was a big splash. That was. A, I'm going to ask you because you're... You we know, were, I was walking around a lot in those days. I didn't have you to do some of my walking for me. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a big national. It was uh, back on the East Coast. And, uh, and I remember it had two rooms, as what? I recall. And Upper Deck was in like the second room. I only remember one room, but they may have had a separate... Well, there's a wall. There. there was a wall. And one of the things with Ron Durham did a really good job, all things considering running the show. He, it was gone. It was supposed to be at the the conve- new convention center right. that was supposed to be built by somebody who became later famous for something else, and uh, <laughs> it didn't quite work out. So yeah. he had to go to the old convention center. Right. He did the best he could. I used to go to his yeah. store once or twice a week and help him however I could. He'd ask me, and I'd always give him advice that was the best of my ability. Ron is doing very well. Ron is a preacher down in Florida. You can actually find some of his sermons on YouTube. He's very good. He's a very good... Well, he's a promoter. He's a... He was a promoter, and he wasn't a, a hobby establishment guy No, when he won the National. And so there was... But again, the National was... They, they wanted to be in that area. See, at, at that night when he won it, the idea was Bruce was going to win. Bruce and Benito were going to win Chicago in 88. And, and did then, they do double voting in those? Was that when they did to vote uh, for next year and the year? No, you only voted for one year. To get a running start? That's you only voted for one year. That. that started later. Okay. But you, you know, but Bruce and Benito were going to win 88, and then Bob Schmier was going to run 89. Yeah. When Ron Durham won 88, oh, wow. that, upset the, that upset the grand plan of all the hobby establishment. Yeah. Anyway, the buzz at the show was the upper deck set, and it... I, I remember, I, I never got the hologram thing, but I was more impressed by the quality of the printing. And it wasn't, it was, it, it was either, if it was cardstock, it was, it was coated cardstock. Or it, was, it was a thicker cardstock. Yeah. It's a thicker cardstock. And they did. Nobody's what's, thinking about grading, but you could see that the, the, there was superior printing quality. And you can take what SCORE did in 88, because SCORE has the color photos on the back. Yeah. What they did is they took SCORE to the next level. Yeah. And I will tell you that, Cards always weighed a certain amount before that point. You would get a monster box of cards. It would weigh X. I will tell you, a monster box of 89 upper deck weighed a lot more than X. It was like 2X. Yeah. (laughs) But again, so the the emphasis wasn't the hologram. The cards weren't as expensive to worry about counterfeiting. No. But they, they said that, but it wasn't. It was the counterfeiting. And so this hologram, but the superior printing quality... Was and so the this the Wally Joyner and the Dwayne Vice cards they were examples of this, 
And like I said, where they put the hologram on the back is really what the variations are. And that's not, not that, or the shape of the, whether they're home plate or diamond or squares or something. I can't remember what it is. I've, I, at one point I had all different types just because I was there and I went, I went over there, visited with them. We list, we list and we have copies of all the different variations in the ComC database. And if we're missing something, please let me know. <laughs> the posture in those days with the, there were new from, and you and I were around in the seventies, it was just tops and 80, then all of a sudden 81, when you get uh, Donerson Fleer, and then there was a little bit of a crescendo there and upper deck didn't, nobody was saying, ah, oh, no, we don't need another one. They were saying, this looks interesting. Up, this is one, but again, you were talking about buying a set, which would have been dozens of dollars, not hundreds of dollars. It was unique. Even a dollar pack. It was unique for the time. It was the first premium, really, cards. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, as you said, the card stock was better. The printing was well it done. It kind of looked like it was worth twice. It was twice as expensive. And the white background of the cards really made the photos stick out. And the photos are really good, too. Even when the regular set, you know, we can talk about 89 Upper Deck another time, but that's a showing how good the photos were. Yeah. And 88 National in Atlantic City was an interesting enough show. Oh, but that was the big news, Rich. I yeah. remember... But, but as I said, as a dealer, it really didn't affect my life any because we wanted to wait to see what happened. But for what you're doing, that's huge. Let's give you another. If we fast forward, and you and I are going to talk about this in another episode about some of the card shows, but the decade of the 90s, probably a lot of the nationals were, uh, some of them were stampedes for promo cards. They still are to this, not promo cards, but they still are stampedes to this day. But. but there weren't stampedes in 88. I don't remember. No, there's there no stampede. And people hanging out at the upper deck booth to try to get a big stack of these cards. No. I don't remember kids hanging out offering to buy later in the show. Maybe there was a little bit of that, but I don't think anybody was thinking, hey, these are going to be prototypes from a card company that's going to go on to great heights. And we're going to grab up a bunch of these. And I don't think they printed that many. No, but at Christian 90, you have the tour of the score sports flex factory. Yeah. And that, well, Ryan, that Nolan Ryan special. But that wasn't at the show. That don't, that's when people brought back. All of a sudden, oh, wait a second. We blew several hundred dollars by not going. Yeah. And then 91, with the late Mike Burkis leading the charge and Jack Petroselli, a really sweet man who was really yeah. running the show too, they got the promo fever at that show. That's where the promo fever went. And that's from that point on. You've had, it's not really promos, but you still have the stampedes now at the National go to the corporate booths, the tops, the upper decks. The, but the our panini. point is, in 88, with upper deck, now looking back, those would we should have we should have all stampeded. Influential promos that began something. We should have all stampeded up for second eighty-eight, and we didn't jump on it. So I'm not kicking myself because that wasn't our goal. Later on, when you were with the company, it wasn't to pick up promos. Although we wanted to have type cards of everything, but we didn't want piles of everything. We just wanted uh, a representative sample. But in but uh, those were that those so eighty-eight. Entered in, entered in the era of uh, promo cards with, with not as much fanfare and did it quietly and quietly. And Upper Deck made a huge splash, obviously. That most people think Upper Deck began with Ken Griffey Jr. Well, and Tom, it actually I did the next Tom, I didn't even want you to think so. I know, but, and Dwayne Bice, when you look back and I've, we've talked about different corporate kind of things. When you're running a company, you just, nobody's infallible. You're going to make some mistakes that you can beat yourself up about. But I hope nobody at Upper Deck is beating themselves up that they wound up paying, uh, contractually, but paying a, a lot of money, Dwayne Bice, who really 
helped them birth their company. Yes. And, and it was it's basically working out the deal that was, that, that's how it played out. And I've had, that's the lesson is any deal that you get into, whether it's a handshake or a contract, there needs to be some reasonable provision for how to terminate that honorably by either side. And so you need to contemplate that it's possible that we're going to have to stop. We won't be doing this uh, forever. And when we do, here are the terms for you buying me out or vice versa. And Dwayne Bice was, uh, he made the introduction. And you think that shouldn't be worth that much. If he hadn't, there was, people thought that Upper Deck still couldn't get a license because all they were going to do is pay this amazing, this ungodly amount of a guarantee, which I think was a million dollars or something, which sounded like a lot in those days, but, and maybe it was more than that, but it, they were going to write a check that would get them, give them the chance to, to get involved, but they wouldn't have gotten the meeting. We talked in another episode about how hard it was for Mike Kramer. Yes. To get a license. And he, I think he had money ready to go and they, they wouldn't meet with him. And so upper deck, this was their way through Dwayne Bice. And, and Wally Joyner, too. Wally Joyner did a completely different exit from he, his deal. I he think he had a similar step. deal. He, he cashed out what now looks to be cheap, but because now we look at the cumulative value of Upper Deck over but, the years. Well, Wally was an established major leaguer. And he, he was making a lot, lot more money. money. And so for him... Yeah, and was in the middle of his career. For Dwayne Bice, you'd think, he just quit yeah. and be an owner of Upper Deck. But he got best of both worlds. I think he played a little bit more, and then he wound up... He was a 30-year-old rookie at the time for him. This was the long-term contract. Uh, the smartest thing he, he ever did. At any rate, I think... Uh, any other reminiscences no, no, just, about... Well, just to say... So that, people say 88 Upper Deck, and they go to Com C. They'll see, them, they'll they'll see, see all some, the varieties. But only those two guys. Only those two guys. And I'd say... I, I don't think you have to have that for your collection to be complete. But if you're an Upper Deck person, I think... Or if you're a very, hobby historian. You're, it's very meaningful. Okay, I guess that's uh, that's enough about 88 Upper Deck. Again, thank you, Dwayne and Wally, for making those introductions. And for Paul and Bill and Richard, the uh, uh, co-founders of Upper Deck, for stepping out there in faith and uh, boldly pursuing a license when it was a, a long shot. And uh, the hobby's better for it now. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, everybody. Be back tomorrow. The man in the house of God.